1: and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are starting our eight-week-long horror celebration. Yes, that is correct. I did say eight weeks. So as you can guess, your host is very, very excited to get that started. I am also very excited because to kick things off, I have some great interviews for you. Uh, it's going to be presented in two parts. I recently went to the Colorado Festival of Horror, their first annual Colorado Festival of Horror, here in Denver, Colorado, and I had so much fun. And just big shout out to them. The organizers were amazing, made us feel so welcome. Uh, it was run very smoothly, and and I just it, lots of great content. And I just can't wait to go back again next year. So shout out to them while I was out there, I got the chance to sit down with five incredible artists and talk to them about their craft. And so these interviews are going to be presented in two different episodes. So for this first episode, I have three interviews for you. The first one um, is with Brian Bonsell, who you might know, he was a child actor. You might know him from like Family Ties and the horror movie he did called Mikey where he played a very evil child so you might have known from that but he also left child acting and moved to Colorado and graduated high school in Boulder and started his career in music and he's been doing music ever since he has done some acting since then too as well but he's been in a lot of great punk rock bands so you'll hear him talk a lot about that and so i just had so much fun sitting down and talking with Brian so this is the first interview up and then i'll be back with a couple more interviews for you so enjoy I just wanted to ask you first about Uh because I know you're here. You're going to be screening your your movie, Mm -hmm. Mikey, and then talking about that. So, looking back on that 20 years later, um, what was it like? How did you approach that character as a child, playing an evil child? (laughs)
2: Yeah. Well, I was, you know, I was eight, and I had already done a lot of roles in my Mm -hmm. life, so I knew, you know, what was real and what was fake. Yeah. And because a lot of people were kind of upset with my mom for letting me do that you know we kind of got a lot of slack for it why would you let your kid do that but you know i had i had already done so many parts and i had done other uh thriller type movies already and i just loved doing it it was so much fun and to prepare i i watched the bad seed oh yeah uh, more than a few times and uh and i definitely that was definitely the main movie i watched to try to form my own character uh you know, of this sweet and incredibly evil kid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's a great movie, too. Yeah, it really suit. is. That's, that's, a, that's a classic. Yeah, and did it, did it ever bother you, though? Was there ever a point where it was kind of like a little bit too much going into that, or was it just a lot of fun? It it was, to be
2: honest, it was a lot of fun. I yeah. it, it always, uh, I, I I always felt comfortable on the set, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I, I had a lot of fun shooting it, being covered in, in fake blood, and, <laughs> and uh, it, it was a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: yeah. Were you a fan of horror movies? I was. Yeah. I was.
2: My sister is four years older, and we definitely uh, grew up watching uh, a lot of horror films and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, I, 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 uh, I always, you know, enjoyed it. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. What was your favorite one?
2: I mean, I re- movies that stick out to me that I watched... Uh, with my sister and my dad growing up were like Serpent and the Rainbow oh, yeah. and uh, really loved that mm-hmm. one and as I got older I, I, I really enjoy the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies and uh, we definitely watched Freddy a lot and the mm-hmm. Jason you know the, the normal epic horror movies yeah, um,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I started watching horror movies when I was like five or six years old. My babysitter showed me Poltergeist, oh, and then we The Shining. Those. Oh yeah. And I had no idea it was The Shining until later because I would always picture the scene with the blood coming out
2: of yeah, the yeah. elevator,
1: and I'm like, too young to watch that, probably. Yeah. But it's still. I mean, I have weird fears have because you, of
2: which. Have TV. you gone to do the tour up at
1: the Stanley? No, which is just insane that you I sh- haven't done that. You should do it. It's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I know. It's on my bucket list of stuff I definitely should do. Yeah. And speaking of Colorado, because I know you left mm-hmm. acting and came into, lived in Boulder, mm-hmm. correct? That's yeah. correct. And then yeah. you've been in Colorado then pretty much ever since then? Or? I mean, uh, pretty
2: much ever since. I've moved yeah. back to LA a couple times. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I lived in Philly for a while where mm-hmm. I have some family and Delaware area. And uh, and I even lived in Missouri for a little while. I went to military school there for a little while. So so I've moved around a bit, but mostly I've uh, I I was in Boulder. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I went to I went to high school in Boulder. Lived here and went to high school. Did you go to Boulder High? No, I went to September School. Okay. Yeah. September School. Yeah. Art. C school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh (laughs) Well, do you think that helped though that you left LA um, later and then came up to Boulder? Do you think that helped that you? graduated there instead of, like, staying in Los Angeles and that whole environment. You know,
2: I think about that sometimes, and and it was definitely a huge change for me, because, uh, you know, moving from a big city to seven miles up in the mountains, you Mm -hmm. know, in North Boulder, uh, was a huge change. But it really really grew on me, and Colorado definitely uh, became my second home pretty quick yeah and uh and and at this point, you know with having toured and playing music and traveling all over the world. Um, I always want to come back to Colorado, so I love it here.
1: Yeah, that's why they call it the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, and it's cursa,
2: always... Curse of Chief Niwa. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, because when I was little, because I grew up here, I was like, I want to leave Colorado, and I'm going to leave Colorado. Yeah. And then I left, and after a few years, I'm like, I want to go back to Colorado. I think
2: that's a common feeling, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you're growing up. Mm-hmm. You're like, I, I want to see what what else is out there. So. Exactly, but. exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah, and speaking of music, because I on my podcast, we talk about a lot of stuff, mainly from the female perspective but mm-hmm. a lot about music movies tv and stuff but music as I always say is like that's my first love I think it's so essential to myself as a human being and I'm sure that's what it I can is agree that with for that for yeah.
2: yeah yeah music is uh is everything to me and uh, you know around I definitely grew up uh uh you know my my house growing up, my whole family was into music, mm-hmm. and you know Tom Petty was huge in our house, and Tracy Chapman, and 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 all that, and and uh, and when I uh, I you know I got I got into hair metal pretty young, mm-hmm. you know Skid Row and and uh, Slaughter and all those bands, and uh, once I found you know punk rock uh, in the nineties, uh, ninety three ninety four, I I uh, I fell in love with it and got pretty obsessed and i'm still yeah. obsessed to this day <laughs> and uh it's uh
1: yeah yeah it's well what is it what <laughs> is it about punk rock out of all of the genres that speaks to you the um most
2: I, I guess it's just the 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 angst and the edge of it and mm-hmm. uh i just feel like uh you know it, it's a it's mo- it, it's more of a state of mind than a genre of music but uh I just feel like punk rock can can do anything and, and mm-hmm. get away with it in their music, uh, and uh, you know they can they can be angsty and angry uh, and and have a positive message behind it, yeah. and uh, it's it's got a movement behind it, and I don't think uh, I don't think a lot of genres have that. You know, That's very true. and and uh, there, there—it's just something else when when you go to a show and 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 you see the unity and and people think it's just a mosh pit of people fighting in there, but everybody picks each other up and and mm-hmm. uh, and I think it, you know, it it applies to uh, to life as well.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think there are other genres too that kind of I don't know, kind of build off of that, like even like ska. I agree. Be like yeah, that. there's so many yeah. branches mm-hmm.
2: off of it, and yeah. and uh, over the years, it's uh it's 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 grown a lot even mm-hmm. though they say punk is dead
1: <laughs> yeah I was going to ask you about that actually I was going <laughs> to ask you what do you think about punk today because I know some people think punk became a little bit too commercial like even back in the day mm-hmm. of Green Day that, that yeah. became too pop yeah. do you agree with that or do you think there's still a lot of people underground well I think I, like I, you <laughs> I, it's, it's,
2: it's, it's hard because you know Green Day started in the Bay Area they mm-hmm. played they paid their dues. They played dive bars. They they worked their way up, and uh, I think they deserve everything they have, and and um, I think they deserve to make, you know, radio songs that that may, you know, make make, make their way into into the ears mm-hmm. of a more casual listener as well. And I I, I don't know. I think Green Day is awesome. I've always been a huge fan, um, and uh, I I think someone who who's gonna spend their time thinking about how much Green Day is a sellout, rather than just, you know, not listening at all if they don't like it, and moving on to another band. Um, I don't know. I think it's a waste of time.
1: And probably jealousy, too, yeah, in some respects. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, and I think well, it's...
2: some people put so much energy into, into that point that mm-hmm. they're, they're still giving their time and energy to that band, so... That's true. There's still an obsession there of some sort if you hate them so much.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that you devote your energy to that. Why devote your energy to something you hate instead of something you love or something that brings you joy? Exactly. Yeah, and I think part of it also is, with punk at least, is I think people are like, okay, if you're punk, then you can't have success. Yet if you are trying to be successful as a musician, wouldn't you want that success and want them to. So I don't know if that's, if you agree with that at all, but I think that might be where some of it comes from. I, I think,
2: you know. Bands like, you know, the Sex Pistols mm-hmm. were, you know, they they were pretty rough. Sid Vicious was pretty rough, you know. He'd, he'd be up there bleeding on stage yep. and punching himself in the face. And I think, you know, that kind of set a backbone for what people thought punk was. But at that same time, you had The Clash and mm-hmm. The Ramones, and they weren't, you know, The Ramones weren't doing that violent side. Yeah. So, and, and those are the first two punk bands, arguably. So it's... Uh, I think it showed two sides of, of where punk was headed.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, you know, they intersected along the way I guess. But
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then the clash always had something to say too. So great, and yeah. yeah, yeah Joe Strummer and, they, was they brought
2: like, the political side, mm-hmm. you know, to it.
1: A lot. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which was important, which I think sometimes gets lost. Like you said, with the fact that people think it's just mosh pits and just people just being punks well, there's, there's <laughs> symbolism to it yeah exactly yeah. exactly yeah well i want to know a little bit about your band that uh-huh. you're in right now just sort of if you want to just talk about what, what well doing i i've
2: and... i've had a bunch of bands over the years right now i'm kind of just doing acoustic stuff we we've done a couple tours bootjack uh, boot jack and bonds is is my my acoustic music and uh and i'm a new dad so that that is where my, you know yeah. my focus is uh and that's you know so i'm not really playing in in full bands uh mm-hmm. right now but you know I, I still have all the you know all, all the bands i've had have always been good friends so it's always there um so you know maybe there will be we'll, we'll record some more music in the future or such but but for now you know just just playing acoustic music we just did a, awesome. a, a an event for uh colorado festival horror at outworld brewery uh, which was awesome and a great time, and uh, so we're just kind of doing doing stuff yeah. in that vein for yeah. the time being. And and my partner, who I uh, play music with, he's a new dad too, and with a six-month-old <laughs> daughter. So, so we're both in the same boat. And uh, when we practice, there's screaming babies in the <laughs> same room, so and we have to stop mid-song over and over.
1: A different kind of interruption there. Yeah. maybe. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Well, thank you very much. And did the pandemic at all, because I know that's changed so much for so many people. So yeah. did that change how you approach music or how you approach life? I mean, I know now with you being a father, that probably changed it, of course. But did that kind of add on?
2: Um, I mean, it, it was definitely a big change. Because recently I, I was, you know, a couple of years ago I was touring with uh, the Ataris a lot um and playing guitar for them and then it's a band i was listening to for 20 years already mm-hmm. so it was just a dream come true to to tour all over and play with them um but then you know really fast i got married and and had a had a son and all that changed and then the pandemic happened yeah. and so you know we've been kind of stuck inside for a while i've been mm-hmm. you know trying to to find fun things to do with my son um and now things have kind of opened up and then things closed. But, yeah. but uh, I, I, you know, uh, trying to keep life interesting even through the pandemic and, yeah. and uh, definitely introducing him to, to all the instruments right away and, and trying to have fun with all that at home.
1: That's awesome. And also introducing your son to music yeah. because I think, yeah,
2: yeah. He, yeah. He, his favorite show right now is, is What's New Scooby-Doo? And the new What's New Scooby-Doo show is all punk rock music on the soundtrack. So it's Uh, all like pop punk, less than Jake, MXPX, mm -hmm. uh, and Simple Plan does the theme song. So it's, uh, and and it's his favorite show right now. So he's, he's, he's loving it. It's all he wants to watch. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) When we we turn on the TV. yeah,
1: (laughs) That's really cool though. That must make you proud and happy to share that with your son. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well are there any bands that you would recommend or that you uh, really love right now that maybe people haven't heard of as much?
2: Um, I, I think uh, the, new, the new Face to Face album is amazing and it just came out today and uh, I've only gotten one play through and, and the songs they released and they mean a lot to me because they were the first punk show I ever went to uh, when I was about 15 years old and it was at the Glenn Miller Ballroom in Boulder at CU campus. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then, you know, I went on to play a lot of shows there at, uh, Club 156 that used to be there. Um, so through my high school years and after, just played with tons of my, you know, favorite bands and, and bands that I didn't even know were going to be my favorites later. So yeah. it's, it's it's pretty crazy, you know, Alkaline Trio and Big Wig and just a whole bunch of bands that, um, I played with that I didn't realize, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to go on and play for many years and write great albums. So, uh. Yeah, face to face, Banner Pilot is is one of my favorite bands. Um, I think they're on on kind of a hiatus because one of their members plays in Green Day sometimes. Oh, okay. So I, I, I think that's part of the reason that they've been on a hiatus. But I hear they're working on new music. Um, so yeah, there's a couple bands that that I really love a lot. And there's so many more. I mean, I could just go on.
1: Well, yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 like I've got this whole long huge list that yeah. I could just recommend. Well, That's awesome, and and I know music is your your focus now. But is there ever is there part of you that misses acting at all, or ever thinks about? Acting?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I definitely have good memories. I had a mm-hmm. I had a really fun childhood. Uh, you hear some horror stories from yeah. other child actors, but <laughs> I didn't I didn't have that drama. I had a lot of fun um, with the stuff I did. So so definitely there there is definitely some missing it there. You mm-hmm. know, I've I've been lucky enough to do some. Uh, Little short fran- uh short short films with with uh, friends and groovy. Uh, we did uh, slossages, which we watched yesterday here and talked about a bit, which was really cool to revisit that after some years and commemorate him and and I I uh, done some other little cameos. Yeah. So still you know still there, still there, <laughs> but but definitely uh, I, I I know that this next chapter of my life is is about my son and my mm-hmm. wife and. And, and family so whatever else comes is a plus but that's what I'm focused on
1: well that's that's awesome really to, to put that because I know that that can't that's not always the case in any field but yeah yeah and putting that and putting that into perspective and yeah yeah, yeah. And who knows? Maybe your son will follow in your footsteps. Maybe <laughs> that
2: that you know, and people have asked me that is mm-hmm. he going to be an actor? And I said, well, if he wants to be, if he you yeah, know, if he I wants do. to go into the theater program at, at whatever school he's going mm-hmm. to or if he shows interest, you know, he's allowed to do whatever he wants. Yeah,
1: yeah. Or music. Yeah, yeah or music. The music. Music's
2: going to be a given. He's going to yeah. But you know, whether <laughs> he wants to, you know, try to make that a profession, that's but, you know, he's going to He's mm-hmm. gonna play. I know he's gonna love it because he he already does. So. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's that's awesome, really. Yeah, and right. if he
2: doesn't find something else he wants to do, like draw all mm-hmm. day or whatever, then he can do that too. <laughs>
1: yeah, or be a stockbroker. No. Yeah. <laughs> hey, if that's what he wants, if that hey, it might be I, his passion. I don't. I don't,
2: <laughs> I don't know if stockbroker is many in my family, but maybe there is. I do have a big family.
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe there is one out there that yeah. you're not. Yeah, yeah. And then your son will meet him and then they'll be like, oh, that's what I've always dreamed of doing. Maybe. <laughs> well, great. W- wonderful. Well, th- thank you so much. And I just think it's awesome to. I love talking to someone who's a musician because we haven't had very many on my podcast. So it's great because music is just like, oh, it's just well, mutual everything.
2: admiration then oh. because I'm the same.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's just uh, I get to go see Violent Femmes here. Awesome! To, they're coming back here in like in October, and I'm just so with Flying Molly. Yes,
2: and me first in the Gimme Gimmies.
1: Oh, I didn't know there was going to. One of my,
2: my best it. friends, Mike Woods, mm-hmm. he's the guitar tech on that tour right now. Oh, So really? he's been sending me pictures. Oh, awesome! The stage and cool stuff. So.
1: Oh, awesome. Yeah, because I've seen them. Probably more than any other. I've never seen Violent (laughs) Femmes. They're fun. They're fun. They're a lot of fun in concert. Yeah. I've seen
2: Me First and and Molly, but I I would like to see Violent Femmes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes.
1: I'm really, really looking forward to that. Yep. Great. Well, just one last quick thing. Mm -hmm. um, is just I know you already talked about some of your favorite bands and some of your. Um, And some bands now too But what was probably What's probably your biggest influence I don't know if there is one band That's your biggest influence Or
2: Um, I mean 90s 90s skate punk Is is my biggest influence Uh, Punk rock from the 90s Is my favorite music Lagwagon No effects Strung out No use for a name Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of bands on fat records And uh, I I Mostly any propaganda, mostly any band on there uh, I've j- I just I fell in love with in 8th grade. Yeah. It changed my whole perception of music and, uh, and it, it made me realize uh, that I could do this too and that I, I, just, I just felt like I related to it so much. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's strange and, and, and it's never died for me, it's only grown so I, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, a, a lifelong obsession yeah. at this point yeah and, and and obviously the Ataris too and, and, and you know and ending up getting to, to play guitar for them and, and uh, tour around and play Russia and just crazy oh, places wow. was just a you know awesome dream come true. I hope I hope to get up get back out there with them um, sometime again you know maybe when my son's in school or when I feel comfortable leaving it's just yeah. it's hard to you know to think about being gone nine months out of the year. Right now, because he's two, and I'm a stay-at-home dad with him, and mm-hmm. and even coming here for the weekend, my wife's sending me videos, you know. Oh. Where's Dad, and then just. Yeah, hard. I bet
1: that's hard. <laughs> it's, it's heartbreaking. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but then, but then, you know, she's like, "Well, do you want me to try to bring him?" And I'll be like, "Hell." They'll probably have a meltdown in the first
1: half hour. The first five minutes. Ter- ter- terrible, too. No. Yeah. They call it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, they do. I
2: like to just okay. trade screaming fans for screaming kids. Yeah. I think that's just the hilarious
1: part. <laughs> 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 just a bunch yeah. of screaming kids. You could have that for your next show, just a bunch of kids just screaming. That's an <laughs> album cover right there. That the title. That is, the next album. You're right. That is, is. That is. That is. But you have to be careful because, you know, the Nirvana thing. With oh, yeah. Boy. Yeah. Uh, I, think I
2: right? saw one. Uh, well, some, I meant like a group. Somebody yes. photoshopped it where they just took him out mm-hmm. and it's just the dollar bill.
1: It's yeah, like I saw they that. should
2: just change them all to that if you want to pull some stuff like that exactly. because, you know. <laughs> He, he, he shared, he's over the years, over mm-hmm. the years he shared his own revisions. Well, of, like every yep. like
1: 10 years he doesn't do... He does. Stuff. Yeah. yeah. He
2: does. So he's just he's just trying to... He wants the line. He wants the payout. Yes,
1: yeah. Yeah, and the money. He must need the money really badly and someone just kind of whispered in his ear and went, this is what you can do to get the money or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're <laughs>
2: totally right. That's how it <laughs> happens. Hey, man, you should just sue him. <laughs> Just sue them They showed you naked when you were a baby And you're on a cover Just sue them, man They violated your your space. You couldn't could make that decision <laughs> If you've been wronged, call 1-800- Yeah, no, there, there you go That's probably yep. how it went down It
1: probably They're did sitting
2: in a car so filled like, with smoke yeah, mm-hmm. Like somewhere, you know And,
1: then and he happened. was like,
2: ding, light bulb yep. went off in his head And he was like, I'm doing
1: that well, thank you so much. It's thank been you, so Aaron. great talking to yeah. you and meeting you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, and I look forward to just hearing more what you have to offer and, cool. and everything. So, well, thank anybody you can so much.
2: put my name into Bandcamp and uh, all you know all the music I've made over the years. Well, most of it is mm-hmm. is all on there. Okay. Some of that, some of that stuff's on like all the major streaming services too. So.
1: Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And so, is that the best place for people to find yeah. your stuff? Yeah. Bandcamp.
2: Then? I I, okay. I love Bandcamp and okay. I'm all
1: about it. Okay, great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. It was so nice to meet you, and I really appreciate you. You too. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Brian. It was so much fun to talk about music with you because, as everybody knows, music is my first love, and I loved being able to talk about that with with, um, a musician and also a fellow lover of music as well, so that was great. Next up, I was honored to sit down with Lorraine Landon, who is an actress um, she is also a gold medal lyricist. So we talk about that as well. She has been working in the industry for for a long time now. She's probably, you know, one of the things you probably best know her from is like Maniac Cop, the second Maniac Cop. But she's done a lot of other things as well. Um, and she goes over, you know, it's just a very entertaining interview. Uh, we kind of talked about a lot of things, went on some tangents. Um, but she's she's an entertaining person to talk to to speak with so I think you'll enjoy this interview a lot and I also loved the fact that she uh, loves pit bulls and as everybody knows that's a big thing for mine so I'm going to throw in an NBSL in here as well so thank you again Lorraine are you having a fun weekend so far
0: absolutely having a terrible time (laughs) no it's (laughs) wonderful I'm meeting so many incredible people and I'm just uh, I'm just in awe of how many fans there are of the films I've been in Mm-hmm. They, qu- they quote, they come up to the table and they quote and I don't even rem- remember what movie they're uh, quoting from, right? Because, you know, I've been in 40 films, so. It's wonderful that people come up and actually appreciate your work and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, it's just, a, it's, it's just a wonderful experience to be here. Um, I was here a few years ago, I did Terror Tales, I don't know if you saw it, mm-hmm. but I did Terror Tales uh, for Jimmy Lee Combs out there. I call him my killer director, Um, and uh, I was here about I think a week, and it was about three, four years ago. And they screened it last night, so Mm -hmm. and everybody seemed to love it. They just said they loved the film, so I'm really grateful. Um, I'm just really grateful to be here.
1: Well, does that give you a new appreciation for your work then, with the fans coming up and especially with them quoting?
0: Actually, yes, because. Uh, when you're working in a, a, a movie, in a lot of films that I've been blessed to be in, you, you, uh, you just forget about uh, the dialogue, you forget a lot of the scenes, kind of, because it's been you know, quite a while for some of these films, such mm-hmm. as All the Marvels that I, I did, uh, start with Peter Falk or MGM, Robert Aldridge's Last Picture. And that's the movie that really um, you know, got me out there got me on the tonight show with johnny carson it was on the best of carson twice actually oh, you wow. can see it on the on the uh, internet i think i know you can
1: yeah 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 and you did all of your own stunts in that one right yes i did all yeah. my own
0: stunts we that was a uh, uh, prerequisite to doing the movie was that we had to do our own stunts and mm-hmm. kathleen turner was one of them um and also uh shara denise peter fox wife was one of the 2,000 girls, because there were 2,000 girls, and out of those 2,000 girls, uh, the director initially, Robert Aldrich, was looking to hire um, wrestlers they could train to act, but they couldn't, so they went the uh, antithesis route. They got um, uh, actors and trained us to wrestle, which was uh, six months in the training, and then and then the actor strike hit. So, but I continued wrestling even though the actor strike uh, was enforced and we were not allowed to show up on, uh, on the set mm-hmm. or the wrestling match where we were training, but Vicki Frederick and I went every single day, no matter what, um, we were determined, you know, we have something that I call in, in, in order to make it in this industry, you have to have two things to make it in this industry. And I told everybody, well listen, you have to have passion and persistence or perseverance, passion, perseverance. You can't have one and not have the other. I meet so many people in LA mm-hmm. that are actors. Oh, I'm an actor, I'm an actor. I said, are you going to school? Are you reading books? No, but I'm an actor. It's in my blood. And I said, well, w- w- well that's <laughs> nice. What does that mean? <laughs> that's nice not the passion, <laughs> but uh, you know, you, where's the perseverance? Yeah. Oh, somebody will find me, right? I'm working here as a waiter, which is fine. Uh, we all worked as waiters at some point in our life, were waitresses. And, um, you know, they always say, Well, I'm an actor, so I'm going to get discovered here, right? But in mm-hmm. the meantime, they're not going to school. They're not reading books. Uh, they're not watching films, especially the old movies with James Gagney Marlon Brando, uh, Rita Hayworth. Um, to me, those are the truly great movies of all. Um, not the CGI movies today, because I, I do not like CGI at all. And I'm very uh, upfront about that. I love old movies um, or movies that have a story, yeah. and especially independent films, because independent films, the d- uh, directors um, always give you the license to create, you know, to add to mm-hmm. improvise. And when I say improvise, I don't mean bring, make up my own more dialogue. I mean bring something to the table, because in real life, you know, um, we're always doing something in, uh, while we're talking. You know, we're not just like yeah. what you're doing now. You're scratching mm-hmm. your neck, right? I'm holding my coffee, picking up my coffee. There's nothing more boring to me than watching uh, people on camera and all that they're just talking heads, right?
1: Yeah. So. What's that old show, don't tell kind of thing where you, you're you showing it, not just telling the right, audience exactly. what they want to yes, hear. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the audience, also I think it's part of that is also treating your audience like they're smart and you're not like... Kind of, you know, you're like, yeah, you can pick up some of this stuff. Yeah, Yeah, you can telegraph what's going on. Like, I always say the best performances are the ones where you look in the eyes and you can see the character there. So you can see their emotions, what they're going through, without a word of dialogue.
0: That's what Marlon Brando used to always tell me. Uh, Look in the eyes, watch the eyes of people. Yeah. Great actors, they all have the eyes of a madman. Marlon Brando, who was like my father, because I lived with his son, Christian Brando, for many, many years. And Marlon would always say, um, when it came to acting, he hated acting. First of all, mm-hmm. hated it, and couldn't stand the industry and the people in it. He just, he just didn't like it. Um, I have some great stories about Marlon Brando, but I'm not going to go into into, the, into it because it's about me, not him. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're like, let's not give the spotlight to him. It's about me.
0: Yeah, who is he anyway? <laughs> Most people haven't even heard from him, heard of him. I can't believe how many people is he really. An island.
1: Well, what is it like as as a woman in the industry, especially if you work in like horror or anything like that? Has it been uh, more difficult, or to be taken seriously, or do you find you get pigeonholed at all?
0: Not at all. No, I've done comedies, drawn mm-hmm. did all the marbles. Yeah. Was a comedy. Uh, I, the jury, was a drama. Uh, Airplane Two was a comedy. Uh, Sky, which is on Netflix right now, I got a fabulous review. Uh, thank God from the Hollywood Reporter. And that's a comedy, uh, comedy drama.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so I've done the full spe- spectrum. I, I think I've only done four horror movies in my life, actually. Yeah. But it's fun doing horror. You know, it's like a roller coaster ride. And, um, you know, it depends on the director as well, and who, who are generally the writers as well. But I always sit down with the directors always and, and tell them, what I feel uh, I could bring to the table, because I don't just show up on the set and and say, here I am, here you are, here we are. Let's just
1: Yeah, yeah, you take it seriously, because it's your craft.
0: Absolutely, yes, you have to. But you also have to have fun when you're doing it Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I think the most fun I've had laughing are in horror movies actually like with Bruce Campbell? Bruce Campbell had the most brilliant sense of humor, and every time we would film a scene from Maniac Cop One or Two, he would make me laugh. You right? <laughs> he'd make these faces, these rubbery faces, <laughs> or he'd uh, come behind you and whoa! You know, or, but he had the most incredible sense of humor, and um, you know, working working in horror is fun mm-hmm. because. Um, it's like a roller coaster ride, you know the horror films where you. I, I still like the old, old, old horror films, right? And I think that I think that the older the horror movie, the better. Like Frankenstein and Dracula, and, um, all the great uh, black and white films, mm-hmm. right? Those those are my favorite horror
1: films. Great. So, what is it that attracts you to a role? Like, if you're offered a role, what what are you looking for? What's
0: well, I have to make sure there's nudity in it first.
1: <laughs> Number <Huzzah>! one. <laughs> Number <you>. one nudity. <laughs> if
0: there's not nudity, I won't do it. I'm joking. Are you kidding? No, I don't do, I don't do nudity. I think I did nudity in one film. Yeah. And, um, that was all the marbles, and we had to do it. Uh, covered in mud in the mud in you know, a mud bath, mm-hmm. mud wrestling scene, and we kept covering ourselves up like this, right? And they struck the set that night, right? It was like a twenty-five thousand dollar set, and the director saw the dailies the next day, and he said, "Vicky, Lorraine because we didn't, right? We were we were wrestling like this." Hanging yeah. over, leaning over, right, and having the mud cover us. So they had to rebuild the. So they struck the set the next day. They built the set again, twenty-five thousand dollars, and we had to, you know, show our boobs. But uh, when you see the movie, you don't really. Still, thank God, you don't see anything. So I don't know why they had to rebuild the damn, darn, darn set. Are the kids listening?
1: Well, you were also a lyricist, right? you're yes, like an, a gold medal lyricist. I won 17 I mean, trophies. Yeah. Uh, oh, from that's
0: the so uh, uh tele Awards, Davy Awards, um, um, yeah, for world gold medal. For um, my roommate and I did a campaign years ago, not that many years ago, and it was for the uh, LAMTA, uh, LACMTA uh, light rail train safety. So I wrote all the lyrics for all the commercials that were on television. Um, and they extrapolated the 13 set of lyrics that I wrote into, uh, four or five, and then I got a call from New York, I thought it was a joke, they said that you won the world gold medal. Wow. I couldn't believe it, and then I, then the Davey Awards started coming, in, the Tully Awards, and, um, I just couldn't believe it, um, and it was all about, like, light rail train safety, like, um. For instance, one of them, we were in a tunnel, and at the time, kids were playing in the tunnels and doing graffiti all over the walls and in the tunnels and getting killed. So one of the lyrics that I wrote was, um, into the tunnel with our spray paint cans, add a little more graffiti, yeah, we know it's banned, looks like Tahiti, lost my train of thought, two trains are coming, nah, we won't get caught. Um, Anyway, it goes on and on and on, but won the the world gold medal for that and uh, all the other lyrics yeah I I love writing lyrics
1: what is it about that 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 you love so much or how do you approach that when you're writing lyrics or do you still do that
0: Um, not so much anymore Um, I'm pretty much uh, doing acting Mm -hmm. I used to write a lot of scripts with Larry Cohen who was my mentor and my best friend for 40 years and he passed away a couple of years ago I never got over his loss. I never will. But um, we wrote uh, a couple of films together. I wrote the treatment for the movie Cellular. I don't know if you ever heard of yeah. Cellular. It was number two at the box office. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the treatment for it on a napkin at Musso and Frank's. And oh, wow. And with Larry at lunch. And from that, he wrote the feature film based on what I had written on a napkin. Because that's what we had in common. I've always loved writers because writers are the backbone of any, any good script. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care who the actors are, it's always, to me, uh, the writers who never get enough credit. Never, they yeah. just don't get enough credit. And I know that Larry was known for making horror films but he really did suspense thrillers and his idol was Alfred Hitchcock, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he wrote *Phone Booth. And
1: yeah, that, that's a good bestseller
0: movie. some brilliant mm-hmm. fabulous movies because his mind w- was so expansive and um, he, you know he's the most brilliant human being I ever met in my life oh, and the nicest by the way
1: yeah I, I agree with you about the, the writing because if you don't have that then you're not going to have this
0: you're no. not going to have anything
1: it's no <laughs> it's not at all the structure that everything's built about.
0: right you have yeah. to set up confrontation mm-hmm. the resolution and the script and um, Larry and I used to write we wrote a comic book together as well called The Praying Mantis I came up with the idea, we took it to Stan Lee, and Stan Lee loved the idea, him and Gil Champion loved the idea, and then um, <laughs> uh, I told them I had an idea using the uh, uh, the carbon fiber legs, you know, the carbon fiber legs that Oscar Pistoria uh, did, um, but I brought that. The whole concept of the praying mantis to him and they both thought it was fabulous they didn't care about any anything else that larry said they all they wanted to hear was the praying mantis and then uh, i told him about the carbon fiber legs uh, of this character jumping from building to building the praying mantis who's by day is a priest and at night he becomes the praying mantis it's a play on word p-r-e-i-n-g but he was a uh, priest praying mantis yeah. so um, we wrote a comic book, and we only made one um, because he passed away. That was a really great period of my life where I, I, I had the blessing to work uh, with Larry. Um, and people don't know how funny he was. Um, they just don't, don't know. But I can tell you from knowing him 40 years, he was incontrovertibly the funniest human being I ever met in my life. And the most luminous, the smartest. Next to Angel uh. over here. <laughs> you guys are Facebook Live on Lorraine Landon's. And if
1: they have any questions, too. <laughs> if you have any
0: questions, I'd be happy to make some up. Mark said he would love to hear some of those Brando stories one day. Sure. Um, for instance, I'll tell you one a great one, okay? We were going up to uh, uh, see Christian Brando at San, San-, San- uh San- St St. Louis, Louis Obispo uh, men's colony and Marlon and I would drive up there all the time once a month to go see Christian yeah One of the first times we w- drove up there to San Luis Obispo uh, he got really hungry because Marlon was hungry a lot and so he said pull off here let's get off here And he was driving we got off the road and he saw this little Mexican restaurant. And there were two or three. It was up, up by Solvang, on the way to see Christian in prison, eh? So he gets off. We get off the freeway, and there's two or three different restaurants. And he looks and he sees a gigantic toilet upside down in front of one of the restaurants. And he says, "This is where I want to go." And I said, "Fine," you know, because it was. I didn't care. So we walk inside, and he says, "Now, now, Vanilla." He always called me Vanilla. Uh, so now, I'll watch what's gonna happen now. I said, What's gonna happen, Marlon? And he said, Uh, it's gonna be double time. Everything's gonna be double time. Watch what happens. These people are fucking nuts. So, we go inside the restaurant. <laughs> I know that's a really good Brando. And <laughs> so we sit down, and they come up and they ask, you know, uh, for, g- give us menus. And he has on sunglasses and he has a hat on. And he took off his sunglasses, and the people, uh, that took our order said, yes, you would love... Ah. And he's, well, what's the matter with you? And they said, oh. So it was all double time. All of a sudden, everybody's, oh my God, oh my God. And he said, will you stop? I just want a fucking hamburger. And so the guy goes away, and the girl comes over, and the managers come over. Oh, Mr. Brando. And he said, oh, my name is Marlon, and just give me my fucking sandwich, and I'll be on my way. <laughs> so this happened, this truly happened I'm yeah. sorry to take up your whole day but
1: no, it's great it's funny, <laughs> he was right
0: double time, he said double time mm-hmm. everything when I go anywhere is double time I didn't understand what he meant until I sat down with him and these people came up eh, um, to take the order and they just talked to us like we're normal people because we are but then they, uh, they saw him <gasps> and they're gasping for air and backing away like you know, it was a seven coming or
1: something. I do <laughs> <laughs> It's that starstruck thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, just just so hard oh, and then the manager
0: you. came over at the end and he said, oh, Mr. Brando, the dinners, the lunch is on us. We're not, you don't have to pay. Uh, give me the fucking check and I'll be on my way. I want to pay the check. I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. Just give me some ice cream
1: and I'll go. It's
0: because he loved ice cream, too. (laughs) For sure.
1: Yeah, and your Brando is absolutely
0: amazing. He used to say I do a a better Marlon than him. Yeah, you do. Oh,
1: I don't. Yes, you do. That was so good. No way. I don't do a good Marlon Brando. (laughs) (laughs) Glad I got to hear that and hear that story. Thanks for sharing that story, too. Well, I know you said you're so you're not writing at all anymore. Then right now you're kind of just just um, focused on acting.
0: No, I, I um, every periodically I um, go back to some scripts that I wrote myself. Mm-hmm. One is called that um uh, uh, is is called Dog Pen, and I re- <clears throat> pardon me, I rescue pit bulls for twenty years. Oh, oh yeah, no 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 no. I, I, I love pit bulls. Everybody should rescue. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I um I wrote this movie about. Uh, this guy who's a loser who works in a prison and his name's Ramsey Lord, our Lord, <laughs> Ramsey Lord, our Lord, and he's always being tricked by the inmates, right, and one day they steal his prized dog that he can't stand, he has to take it with him to the prison because, because the uh, neighbors, uh, especially his next door neighbor, Minestein, she's 800 pounds and she has fingernails out here. She's it's, it, he they steal his dog and they want 25 dogs if they if, uh, for him to get to get back his dog, right, Butchie yeah. Butchie, it's a French bulldog. So they steal his dog. They won't give his dog back. And the whole movie is him trying to get this little dog back because his wife was divorcing him. She's run off with the prison chaplain, Lester the molester. So, yeah. So, um, it, 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 the automatic ask. Rescue uh, theme, thematic theme is uh, Echo is rescue, don't breed for greed. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a huge proponent of rescuing uh, dogs and cats. Yeah. And I always have been and always will be.
1: Yeah, yeah, and pit bulls are so, so misunderstood still. They're terribly misunderstood. It's
0: a breed that is very loyal Mm -hmm. to the owner. And that's what people don't understand about pit bulls is that they are the most loyal of all breeds, right? most protective and when they go to the door and they won't try to tear down the front door or the screen when the mailman comes every day here's the thing about dogs that people don't understand when somebody comes to your door dogs do not know that there's a lock on the door mm-hmm. they just think somebody's at the door gonna come in and kill their master does that make sense yes they don't un- they don't know there's a, lo- a, f- a lock on the front mm-hmm. door so my, my pit bulls go insane, right, um, and it's because they don't know there's a lock, you know, uh, open the door, close the door, right, but animals don't know, even though I think animals are a lot smarter than humans. I Except agree. Except for
1: Angel. No, I agree. I think I think we could learn a lot from dogs. If we were more like dogs, I think this world would be a better place, for sure. Do you have a Definitely. dog? Definitely. Well, my dog—he was an American um, Bulldog pit oh, bull mix—and wow. oh, wow. he unfortunately passed away a oh, year I'm ago. so sorry. Oh, thank I'm you. So sorry. Yeah, and he had because he had her- terrible skin issues that he had had that weren't treated before I adopted him, and then kept trying to treat him, and then he just was getting worse. But he was like the by far the sweetest dog I've ever known. Mm-hmm. I could take him anywhere, and he would be fine. Were and people
0: he, afraid of him when they saw him?
1: Some were. I did have some people that would like cross the street if we were walking yeah, yeah, yeah. and I had you know I had one person her dog wanted to meet my dog Schroeder wanted to meet him really, really badly and then the woman like pulled her dog away and said that's not our kind of dog <gasps> I'm like well you're missing out oh wow yeah yeah so I mean people were mostly mm-hmm. okay but you know there were some people that would cross the street but he's the sweetest sweetest dog I've ever ever known Well, wonderful. Well, I just want to know really quickly, because I know you mentioned that the script is so important and you really think writers Uh deserve more credit. Uh What is it in a script that you look for beyond just the character, like with the story, what really would resonate with you or attract you?
0: I look to see if there's a, a, if if the character has three dimensions to it, you know, Mm -hmm. if it if it's just a talking head, like I said earlier, I'm not. I'm not interested. I get scripts sent to me all the time, but you know, and I, I, it's hard to tell a writer, this is awful, you know, when they're being they're kind enough to offer you a role, but you know, it's just, um, it's got to have some meat to it. Uh, it's got to have a be a full-bodied, three-dimensional character, or something that I can. I feel. I feel. I hope that I can. I can work with, mm-hmm. and um, bring really bring it to life, so, um, yeah, it's got to be a good script, I mean, I don't care what actors are in the movie ever, I don't care, I've worked with some really big actors, and like Michael Moriarty, and Robert Davi, and Peter Falk, and just, uh, you know, Armand Sante and um, it's the script, it really is the
1: script. Because if you don't have that, then you're not going to have anything, if you don't have a good no, script.
0: No, not at all.
1: No and it probably is not as fun to do anyway. No. no matter what, no matter who you're working with, if you don't have that to really dive into. That's true. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Or is there anything you want to talk about that's upcoming that you or that you can talk about? Oh, yeah, about, yeah, yeah. Want? I've
0: got a couple of films coming out. Uh, well, one is a documentary uh, that's called uh, Master, um, uh, not Masters of the Grind. Yeah, Masters of the Grind. And there's 180 characters in it. It's coming out uh, I think in October it's uh, going to the uh, film Cannes Film Festival, and oh, I got I to be in that. Uh, it's 180 directors, writers, producers and that, and an Amityville Cop, which is a spoof on Maniac <laughs> Cop, and I. It's so f- funny because I play in the film in Maniac Cop. You know, I play a a, a cop, um, but in in um in in this movie, Amityville Cop directed by Gregory Hatnaka, um, mm-hmm. who's a, a wonderful director. I play, um, uh, a, 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 I don't know how you call it, um, a cursed...
1: Um, like a cursed character, or someone that has a curse on them, or...? Yeah,
0: yeah, more... Um, she's just evil, the personification of oh, evil. Okay. Uh, she's a cult leader.
1: Like a religious very salad, li- maybe? Yes, a religious
0: cellar, yeah. thank you. Very, very manipulative. and. And I got to have a lot of fun with the role. I just wasn't evil. You know, I teased and taunted uh, my victim, which was uh, the maniac cop character. So I did that. I have a uh, staycation coming out that Angela here, Angel, has produced. <laughs> um, and uh, what else? Uh, Clown Motel. Well, I won't go into that. Um, <laughs> it's a crime against cinema. But... <laughs> You can say that. Oh, I'm doing a a film when I go back home called uh, Sorrows Ways coming out the end of this year. I did that in uh, Missouri just before COVID hit Mm -hmm. a year and a half ago. Um, But I have a film coming out uh, that I'm shooting when I get back. I'm really excited about it called A Woman in the Room and it's by David McAbee who directed me in Night Terrors. And what I love about this role is it's basically only two people in the movie Pretty much. There's small, smaller parts, but it's a relationship between a, a mother and a son, and she's dying of a terminal illness, yeah? Mm-hmm. And gravely, gravely illness and, and it's her descent into uh, death. Um, but uh, the hospital's trying to keep her alive. Uh, her son's trying to keep her alive, desperate to keep her alive. He's madly in love with his mother, and she loves him to death. But she could see how it's impacting him, how it's how her suffering and her itching and and um, her illness uh, is af- impacting and uh, uh, affecting hi- uh, him psychologically and she can't stand it anymore. And the debate is really, uh, in my estimation, is uh, it's the debate of am I keeping you alive for you or am I keeping you alive for me? And ultimately, uh, I'm not going to tell you what happens, but it's it's got a great twist to it Mm -hmm. so i'm really excited to do that but i'll spend i'll be spending most of my time in bed but you know there's going to be all kinds of different layers and levels uh to play because at first she's kind of okay she's feeling okay but then it 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 gets worse and worse and worse and you know it's to the point where um she wants to die she has to die And, and then um he doesn't want her to die, and he's losing his mind, and he bec- he's an alcoholic, he's a drug addict. And it's all because of her condition um, that has affected him so much so. And uh, I think a lot of people can relate, mm-hmm. uh, taking care of their parents or taking care of loved ones. And um, it's just the debate about watching someone that you love with your heart so suffering and uh, so am I keeping you alive for you or am I keeping you alive for me? And I just love that uh, thematic echo about the script. That's what drew me to it because um, uh, it's, just, it's just a fabulous role. I'm really excited to play it.
1: But that one sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for talking with me. Seriously, what that was mean, always a great so conversation. Right? You're so entertaining.
0: Thank you for <laughs> watching <laughs> or listening, whoever's out there, anybody.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank really. you. Really, I appreciate thank that. You thank you so you. much. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much again, Lorraine, for taking that time to sit down and talk with me. I really, really appreciate it. And for our final interview for this episode, for this first part, I love this guy. I sat down with Jimmy Lee Combs, who is a director, producer, writer. He's also done some acting. He's done pretty much everything you can think of. Um, And he actually directed Lorraine Landon in um, *Terror Tales* recently. So it was, but we sat down, we talked about horror and the writing process and what inspires you, and um, independent film versus big budget. We talked a little bit about that. And he's just, he's just a really, really awesome guy. So I think you'll really enjoy this interview. Thank you. What drew you to the horror genre in general? What
3: was oh it? yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely just just going back like so many of us growing up, mm-hmm. um, watching so many of, of these films that define the horror genre. You know, your, your classics like um, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, um, to the more, you know, especially B, B movie types like with Sleepaway Camp. Um, And you know those those always left an impression on me. Films like the The Exorcist, um, shows like Tells from the Crypt, you know on HBO. There was also the Hammer horror films Tells from the Crypt that I was also a big fan of. Mm -hmm. That you know that was before Tells from the Crypt, the TV show. There's no relation, but but anyways, and and it was interesting at at a young age, like second third grade. You know learning to write and 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 things like that and being able to kind of incorporate my love for horror even at that young age into my stories and things like that you know in in school and um and so as i got older i of course got really fascinated with you know how our films made and you know it starts with the, the script writing process so i learned i started learning that process and um, would bought, I bought a, a DVD workshop by Sid Field. He's like a renowned scre- screenwriting teacher, and you know, learned that craft. And you know, I also started getting it fascinating with acting. So I was taking acting classes, and um, you know, little did I know at that time, I would really want to start going into making my own films because I originally wanted to like do acting and, and writing. And then it, it didn't take long before I really just started falling in love with the behind the scenes stuff and how a film gets made. And so, yeah, you know, I do student projects um, and, and work on those. And then I got to a point where I'm like, all right, you know, I got a story. I want to start my own like, production company, Heart and Fire Productions. This was about 2006, 2007. And, you know, make, make stories that are, that are personal to, to me and so what's what's funny funny is it really started off making like kind of dramatic type of short films and things like that that were were also great venting outlets for me um and things i was going through at at the time and and putting that into the film into the film world and having people watch them and, and relating to them was 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 really cool to see like what i've been through other people have been through but then as time went on, you know, I'm like, I really want to get back into my horror roots. And so, yeah, and then really got into um, making horror horror films, and like I'm still doing now.
1: Yeah, awesome. And especially if you're writing them, and then you get to produce them, then you get mm-hmm. to direct them, you've got a lot more control because writers, it's notorious that in the industry, it's kind of like, okay, give us the script, and then if you're not any other part of it... Or kind of shut out of the rest of the process so was that very important to you that you were able to produce and direct your material so that you had a lot of say over what happened to it?
3: Yeah absolutely because I mean you hit the nail on the head when you can make all of that happen for, for yourself you can determine okay I'm, I'm writing this I know I want to produce it I want to direct it and I don't want to you know budge on this or budge mm-hmm. on that I want to keep my vision with this intact whereas you know screenwriters if you sell your script like you've said i mean that's that's kind of it's out of your control for the most part at that point you know oftentimes the big studios you know they'll they'll either include the author or the screenwriter a lot in the process and the rewrites and things like that or they will change it all up and bring in multiple writers and you'll you'll see that so many times you'll see screenwriters you know, I think Quentin Tarantino is a good example, like with True Romance. You know how yeah. kind of butchered his his script got when it, when it came to be filming. But you know, it was already sold and, and bought. You know, so you gotta you just gotta ride that that fine line. And I think, you know, when you're writing something as a writer, you know, just go into it with that mindset. Okay, am I gonna sell this? With that intention of you know a bigger studio picking it up, and it and it's okay if it's going to get butchered or rewritten or stray from my vision, or if it's something so personal to you that you're just like no, I don't want anybody you know mm-hmm. touching this, and it can be a very like invasive you know process when something's so personal to you. I I remember, um, I, w- I was I had I was when I first started writing. There was a, there was a filmmaker and it's at the Colorado Film School and you know I wanted his his guidance and and whatnot in, in screenwriting and so I met up with him and he was looking at something that I wrote and just from page one all the way to the end it was just like crossing this out and taking that out and doing this and it was like you know it was just and, and, and I was a little more naive and, and young and being younger at that point with my writing that maybe some of that advice was good but it was just it was just so humiliating getting so much of my personal stuff just cut and butchered from somebody else's perspective. Um, You know, again, but you know, to your point, whereas if you're just going to take in full control from the start, then yes, you have that, that creative freedom to be like, I'm going to keep this in no matter what anybody else says. I'm not going to cut this. Yeah, I'm not going to cut this. Yeah. not going to cut that.
1: Yeah, because writing is a very, very... I, I write too, so I know it's a very personal mm-hmm. thing, and you're always putting a piece of yourself on the page. So then it is hard when you do have that, when you put it in front of somebody, and they're like butchering it. It's like, yes. almost like butchering a part of your soul. Oh, absolutely. Like,
3: it's like, oh you gosh.
1: just didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, if I could just sit down and explain it to you, maybe you would.
3: Absolutely. absolutely. And, and the like sad it. thing is is, is, is in certain points they may be right, like from Mm -hmm. like an audience's perspective or an outside perspective. And that's where you always want to try and find that balance of, you know, being open to critical um, or I should say constructive. There's the word constructive criticism um, and really take it for that. Because when you apply it, it can can make a big difference, you know, especially when it comes kind of to the masses or the audiences or who's going to end up watching it but you know you as the artist it's 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 ultimately you're you're you got to decide okay this I, I can't budge on this or okay i can rewrite this
1: and it's very and your films are very independent too yes. independent filmmaker so i am assuming even though with budget it does constrict it but does it allow you a lot more artistic freedom then to be able to express stuff that you might not be able to express like with a big budget
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when you're writing stuff, you know, they, they, you always hear, you know, write what you know, Mm -hmm. don't write big ass explosions and chase scenes and things like that, that are going to drive up your budget. So you kind of know when you're writing, what is going to be manageable, especially when you've made stuff before. And if you're going to be self funding it, or whatnot, you know, you kind of just know when you're writing what yeah. what you'll end up being able to execute and be be okay with um you know but there's some scripts and i've i've written ones like these and i and i have one now it's, it's called spirit reckoning and this has kind of been my baby for many years now but it's one of those ones that's that's written in a way it's 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 an action horror western kind of film and it just it needs that that bigger budget to really give it justice so, you know, it, it's one of the, it's just kind of continued to be on the back burner. You know, I'll be like, okay, this is my next project, Spirit Reckoning. And I can do this all low budget and then I look at it and I try and execute it. And I'm like, shit, I just, I need that budget, yeah. you know? So there, that's, and then you start writing other stuff, you know? So like that, that's a good example with, with Enter Terror Tells you know i wanted to really shoot spirit reckoning after my first feature film which was hans crippleton talked to the khans a really funny politically incorrect zombies versus hillbillies kind of kind of film but after that you know i'm ready to make my next film i'm thinking it's going to be spirit reckoning but the logistics of it are just not not coming together so i'm like okay what what else can i make that's manageable and that's where, like, where Terror Tales comes in, and I wrote it as a horror anthology because I knew, you know, I can film it as segments, you know, because there's, like, four, three different stories and a wraparound story, and I can manageably um, film each one kind of at, at my leisure and, and at the budget I needed to, all while, you know, filming a web series that I was, that I was directing for season one called Bored called as Board Board Hell. And that was that was fun too, you know, juggling these these different projects and you know doing a web series at the same time as another feature film. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Awesome, wonderful. Well, how do you approach the writing process? Like, what inspires you to write something like like Terror Tales or anything that you've written? Like, is there something like you have a germ of an idea? Like, I know when I'm writing, like, music inspires everything I write. Like, I'll hear a song That's and I cool. just kind of picture a story in my head. So, is there something that kind of inspires you whenever you're approaching something?
3: Yeah, very much stuff I've. Okay. I've watched over the years, and that's why it's really good as a filmmaker to, and a lot of us do, we'll just go on a binge of the genre. So we use Tarot as an example. It's a horror anthology. So I am near and dear to that genre because I love Creepshow. Like that was, that's like so many of us, that's like one of, that's like the best horror anthology out there, Creepshow one and two. And so, you know, I always wanted to do an anthology and have it kind of be a love letter to those. So then, it it's great to watch everything in that in that horror anthology genre, and see okay, what was done, what can I try and do new, what can I pay homage to that people are gonna get, um, and 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 you know while still um, making it my own, and the most personal story in terror Tales, and so many people, and it's everybody's favorite, understandably is the radical video segment because we, we created a video store from, from scratch and it was really recapturing what we, we all are missing now is the blockbuster videos, the, the mom and pop video shops. And that's where it really gets personal to me because, um, you know, in the early 2000s and whatnot and then when I started getting, getting into this, you know, blockbusters were still around and you could still get that. It's not until, you know, more recent years when all those mom and pops have closed shopped and you, you can't really go and get that experience anymore. And that's when it really started resonating and hitting home for me and inspiration for me. It's like I, I need to, you know, express this and get this on on camera some way. So I'm like, let's 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 do this for a Tarot segment and, and recreate the 80s and the video stores and that um you know everything we remember from yeah. that. So it's it's so a lot of that in me is like taking personal experiences um, and other things too. Just what you're inspired from in, in the moment. You know for for the wraparound story for terror tells. Um, mm-hmm. I remember I was I was on vacation with my ex-wife. We were in Minnesota, and we were in line at a at a Culver's drive thru and in front of us is this truck. And it has a trailer attached a tailor a trailer attached to the back of it, you know, for storage and whatnot. And I'm just like looking at it and I'm like, what if that dude has his family locked up in the back of there? <laughs> you know, I'm like getting all twisted. <laughs> getting all twisted and shit. And to my ex wife's defense, she kinda humored me with it. And she's like, Whoa, yeah, and then so like that kinda always that that like stuck with me. Yeah. So, you know, for the for the wraparound story of Terror Tales that was kind of the inspiration for it. You know, there's this, um, this crazy guy who's escaped from a mental institution and he preys on families that are traveling and, um, you know, he abducts them. And so in, in the wraparound story, um, the driver abducts a family and so he, he has the husband riding shotgun with him while his wife and daughter are in the cargo trailer um, stashed away and he has it rigged up to where he, at any moment with a switch in the front of the car, he can gas this husband's family if he doesn't do what he tells him to do. And it's just this whole amusing thing to him. So, um, yeah, so it was cool. It, it's it, it's cool how things like that. Yeah, yeah it, well, it's, it's cool how, thi- how things like that. And then it just ties into, you know, my writing style of like enjoying writing more of the psychological horrors, you know, mm-hmm. things that people can relate to, like, oh shit, what if that was really my family, you know, like the things that could happen, yeah. like real life horrors are really scary. They are,
1: they yeah. really, and I think that's, that's the thing about horror that I think some people miss that aren't fans of the genre, is that it actually has a lot to say about life and humanity, I think even more so than most other genres. And you can put in a lot of stuff like i've also called it like the punk rock genre just because it is kind of like that outside of it but it also just you know pushes the buttons but also has a lot to say and that's why when people say oh horror is not political i'm like no it really is it says like some stuff that other filmmakers are afraid to say i think think oh absolutely you can totally
3: make a statement and and Mm -hmm. george romero is is a prime example of that kind of filmmaker and making those social commentaries Mm -hmm in your film that other people are too afraid to and that you can get away with because it is in a horror medium and you know it's it's a little more exaggerated whereas if you put that same piece into like a drama mm-hmm. you know you may be ridiculed more for it so it, it is really cool how you can how you can do that with the horror genre i agree yeah yeah that's very very true
1: um and i'm wondering since we're a podcast that's focused on female the female perspective yeah absolutely and when you're a woman and you're a fan of horror it's still you still run into that thing of people are like oh that's not a genre for women women don't like horror even though you'll see like statistically that <clears throat> more women do and I mean I remember just being out at the Atlanta Women in Horror Film Festival mm-hmm. a couple of years ago and it was kind of that same kind of feeling because with all these female filmmakers and people were talking like it wasn't going to be as um, intense or as horrific, I guess. So I don't know, how do you approach like having women in your film or how you represent women in film and especially in a medium that sometimes gets criticized for the way that females are presented?
3: Absolutely. You know, what's, what's cool with this is women have, have carved out a huge part in horror, cinema and what i mean is that is is simply the scream queens mm-hmm. and the final girls horror has made women to be out to be badasses which 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 is a good thing they are surviving these um men killers and um and outsmarting them and things like that and i think it has been a really an empowering platform um for women and that's one thing that's really cool with with terror tales i know i keep mentioning it but we have so many iconic actresses of horror louene landon from maniac cop felissa rose from Away camp you know these are these are women uh, helen uti from my bloody valentine the old school one uh lynn lowry david cronenberg shivers you know these are all women who have who have made their their impact on on horror cinema and if and if shown you know it's not just a, a man's you yeah. know forum or or things like that um and that's and and that's really cool
1: yeah yeah i mean it, I, that's the thing is i think there are a lot of very empowering roles for women i but for some reason it's it's more in the people that are fans of the genre not so much people that make the movies i think it's people that are kind of watching it they sometimes still look at women who are fans of it like I don't know, like, you you're, you watch that, really? You're going to watch that? I'm like, I've been watching horror since I was like six years old when my babysitter showed me, you know, Poltergeist. Right. And shining and stuff, which I probably shouldn't have been watching, but it was, you know, it immediately drew me in and was something that, um, you know, it was nice to be able to see when you would watch, especially the Nightmare on the Street series, I think more than anything, but when you would watch those women defeating evil and being smart and yeah. being the last to survive, it's empowering for her women for sure but depending i mean there have been ones that aren't but but
3: no it it is you know and it's it's one of those things too and you gotta you know decipher things as as a moviegoer and we'll use the the ghostbusters remake as an example because it was all female cast and you get a lot of people who are huffy that it's Mm -hmm. that it's all women this time around and it's like okay are you pissed because it's women and not men in these roles? Um, and it's actually a, a funny film, and, and it's a, and it's a great film. Or you know, or on the other side, of the coin, it, it is and maybe it is a legit crappy film, whether it was men or, or women in the role. But it's like there's there's always going to be those ones that are um, you know judging something unfairly um, in, in just because there's a female in the role versus you know whether there was a, a male yeah. in, in in the role. You know, the Ghostbusters afterlife, it's, you know, it's being received a lot more positively. But now the big thing with this one, it's like, okay, it's Stranger Things, you know, because it's Mm -hmm. like the kids in it. Um, Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. It's an interesting interesting aspect.
1: It is. It is. Yeah, it's an interesting thing that we've discussed a lot on my show is that and also harmful tropes and stuff like that. But I don't know. I think of the horror genre as a lot... uh, even though it's hard as a fan sometimes, but I think as far as, like, the films themselves can be a lot more empowering than other films. Like, even romantic comedies, I think, are not as empowering for women necessarily than horror can be, just because you've got a lot of, like, you know, the woman's all about the love interest and all about the guy and all about getting the guy.
3: Yeah, and, 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 well, it's refreshing, too. You know, we've had dime a dozen, you know, horror films with dudes in it, and Mm -hmm. then... You know, you get and and things that are received positively, like the the Evil Dead remake, yeah. and that had you know the female heroine, Final Girl, mm-hmm. and she's just getting all bloody as shit and the chainsaw and everything at, at the end, and and you know it's the is the heroine of of that. Um, so it it is great when it when it is received positively, um, and, and people are accepting of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, what can you tell us? I know you're, you're trying to get that dream project off the ground. So is there any movement then to get it or to get Spirit Reckoning off the ground or anything like that? Yeah. Is there anything you can say about yeah, that?
3: Yeah, so absolutely. You know, with 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 that project and what's, what's interesting with, you know, the pandemic now and, and mm-hmm. COVID, rather than me trying to rush into another production and get something made and and dealing with, you know, the COVID insurance and expenses with that and the testings, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I I decided at that point um, to utilize this time to my screenwriting craft. And I was able to crank out three scripts during this, you know, past year, year and a half now, whatever we're creeping up on. And so with that, I've been able to do what a lot of producers do is they'll they'll create what they call like a package Mm -hmm. and, and a slate of films. So you know my three scripts, and then another project um, from a filmmaker I know, are with a a financing company, and so you know they have their relationships, and they're gonna you know pitch it to their their partners, and if they can secure like the distributor, and and other things that need to be put in place for them to lend money against the project and and give it the funding. Um, you know, would would be really exciting, and this is an avenue that could very well give these projects the budgets you know they deserve that I'm trying to get. But you know, as as a Plan B, um, if if that don't work out, there is another script that I have written written. It's not a horror; it's it's an action crime thriller type of film very much in the vein of like a like a training day with Denzel Washington and or an older film in 91 called Rush with Jason Patrick oh, that, that dealt with you know drugs so and things good. like that so good but it's one i know i could probably realistically like with the money i have mm-hmm. go out there and 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 shoot because you know uh, so many filmmakers will will fall into this cycle and i'm kind of in it right now where you're trying to raise the funding and and, and get it going and if things aren't, you know, taking off, then it's like, okay, I can fall back on my on my indie roots here and, and, and shoot guerrilla style. Yeah. And and that's what I would do with this script. And so that's most likely what'll happen while trying to raise these these budgets for these other scripts. I have that one script that I can just, you know, say, Fuck it and go out there and, and, and get it shot.
1: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, seriously. It's been really interesting, and I really look forward to seeing what happens. And I hope you get your dream project off the ground eventually. I hope you get to make it, because it sounds like that's what you're... Hopefully, I know you keep putting it on the back burner, the Spirit Reckoning one. So yeah, like absolutely. That, that, that that's,
3: that's that's the one. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, and it'll, it'll be really cool. You know, you look at some of the horror films, like, like Psycho Goreman, mm-hmm. Turbo Kid, that have really taken off. And, you know, Spirit Reckoning, I know in my heart of hearts, is, is one of those films that would, like, hit and, and strike its core. So, yeah, I'm excited to get that when that when that time comes.
1: Well, fingers crossed for you. Yes. Seriously.
3: Well, thank you. I appreciate your time.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks for talking.
3: With thank me. you. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much, Jimmy, for sitting down and talking with me. It was such a pleasure. I just loved sitting down with each and every one of them, so I really hope everyone enjoyed those interviews. So thank you again to Brian, Lorraine, and Jimmy uh, for taking the time to talk with us and for coming out to the first annual Colorado Festival of Horror. It was great meeting you, and it was such a great experience. And on our next episode, we're going to continue our interviews with two other amazing, amazing artists, amazing creative people. Uh, first up, we'll have Brink Stevens, who is a scream queen, who is known for Slumber Party Massacre, Personal Demons, um, Slave Girls from Beyond Infinity, and so much more. And she also, you know, used to be studying to be a marine biologist, and she's incredibly smart, and so sweet, and so generous, and kind. And I just, I just loved sitting down with her and talking with her. I could have talked with her for hours and hours and hours. So I think everybody will really, really enjoy that conversation. And I say it on there, but I'm going to say it again. If you ever get a chance to see Brink in any convention, I mean, any of these people, I do want to say that, but if you ever get the chance to see Brink at a convention, I highly recommend going because you will definitely learn something. Um, she's just such a generous, generous spirit and generous person. And I just really adored her. And then I also got a chance for all my American Horror Story friends out there, because I know there are a lot of them because that is one of our most popular episodes. So you'll want to listen up. Because I also got to sit down with concept artist Xander Smith, who he's also done a lot of other work as well, some visual effects, worked in the art department, but he has worked on American Horror Story. He helped design some amazing, amazing stuff for that show, including um, a very memorable demon from Hotel. So we talk about that a lot in there. We talk about other things as well. And he's just a really, really great person who does some amazing work. Please, even before the episode, go check him out on Instagram and go check his website out. And you'll see some of the great 3D models he has on there and some other great, fantastic work he is doing so, yeah, so I just am excited to bring those to you next week. Remember, you can follow me on my personal Twitter at e April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any questions, any feedback, any show notes, if you would like to be a potential guest on a future episode, feel free to reach out to us at itsafandomthingpod at gmail.com. And remember, on our next episode, I will have those other two interviews for you with Brink Stevens and Xander Smith. So I look forward to dropping those on Friday. And remember uh, to tune in to our live horror trivia events as well. Our next one is going to be this Saturday, September 18th at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. We are going to be doing werewolves. And spoiler alert, I know I've been kind of elaborate in my costumes for each one of these for the past two for vampires and zombies, but I'm going to be lazy for this one. So my costume is not going to be as elaborate, but please tune in because I'm sure Susie and Paula, who are going to be on there with me for that one, I'm sure they'll be in great costumes and I'm hoping our contestants will be as well. So remember, signups have closed for that, but they're still so much fun to watch. So keep a lookout for that. And until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate.
3: Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring.
0: A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh?
3: Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino.